Hey, it's uh, nice to be with you uh, this morning. I was driving here from Sandusky and just a gorgeous sunrise and beautiful day and thinking I get to be here at Norwalk with all of you. Uh, thank you for hosting me and uh, glad you're here. Um, before we get to the message, I want to draw your attention to a couple things. One is when you came in, I put it in my back pocket, you received a worship program. Sometimes people want to like, what's going on? We don't know what's going on in the church. Well, oftentimes what you might be wondering about is in this. So if you want to pull it out and look at it, the first thing that falls out is the uh, envelope. This is the way we support the ministries of the church. Um, the chapel exists on the generosity of its people, the goodwill offerings of its people. And you can see different ways to give there. If you're not a part of that, uh, we'd love for you to be because this is how we keep the lights on. This is how we keep our programming going inside our walls, but also allows us to do so many things outside the walls. And then if you open up the bulletin, um, you'll see a number of things. One, I just want to draw your attention to. Last week, we said because we retired a mortgage at Sandusky Campus, which was awesome, it freed up money to do a lot of things for kids. We had 100 spots open at Beulah Beach. The chapel helped pay for those 100 kids. Then we went to 116. Now it's closed off. Beulah Beach will still take reservations. You just got to go through them this time and not through us. And then for middle school and high school, uh, it's called Nevertheless for Middle School and then Move. For the high school students, those opportunities are still available, so you want to check those out. And uh, just really, it's so cool to be a part of kids' lives that way. And um, so there you go. That's for kids. And then also, I want to draw your attention to what's on the screen. Um, we're so excited about this. I remember last spring filling out an application to be a part of what's called A Night to Shine, uh, and we got accepted. And so we are going to be joining churches around the world this coming Friday, February 3, uh, it's called A Night to Shine. It's in partnership with the Tim Tebow Foundation, and it's a, it's a way to center God's love on people with special needs. And it's going to be a fabulous prom night, it's called, kind of like a gala. And um, there's going to be uh, just some great food and uh, dancing, and we have a whole room set up uh, that's sponsored by Cedar Point called the Cedar Point Fun Room. It's kind of cool. And just a lot of things, but we have all the volunteers we need, but we could use a couple of things. One is, you can see on the screen, the red carpet. We're going to have a red carpet on the south side of the building, and our honored guests, we call them, will show up in limousines and to get out on the red carpet, and we want you to be part of the paparazzi. So if you'd like to come and just see what it's going to be about from 4.30 till about 6, we'll try to have some stand-up heaters outside. If anybody has a uh, stand-up heater, let me know. And if you could bring it, that'd be great. Um, propane power, that kind of thing. Uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Paparazzi. We'd love to be, have you be a part of the paparazzi there and just celebrating our honored guests. All right? And the other thing you could do, if you, if you don't mind, is right after the service in the lobby, there's a table in the back, and there's some cards there. And um, we'd like for you to just write a word of encouragement and support to our honored guests. Each of them get a gift bag, and into the gift bag will go these cards. And you don't need to be long-winded. You can say whatever you want, but I'd say just even in, like, God loves you so much, or you, know, you are important to God, or we love you, or something like that. Just anything like that. We're going to put them in the bags, and they're taking home some items with them. All right? So if you could come be a part of that, that would be great. We are in the book of Galatians. If you'd like to turn there, we'll be in chapter 3, and I'd invite you to pray with me right now as we get started. God, thank you uh, for 
all we get to do as a church, and we've already come to you and we've sung to you, we've given our words to you, and now you share your words with us through the Bible, and I pray that you would find our hearts and our minds ready to receive. Um, Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, great. So, if you're in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, we'll, we'll be there in just a few moments. But let me go all the way back to the second book in the Bible, the book of Exodus. That's where you find the Ten Commandments. You know, Charlton Heston and all that. And then they show up again in the book of Deuteronomy. And I'm wondering if you know the Ten Commandments. And I really want to know how, how each of us is doing living by the Ten Commandments. So I'm going to show them to you one at a time. And then you do it, take a mental score of your own life. And then we'll show your score on the screen for everybody to see. Just joking. We're not going to do that. But here, here, here we go. Do you know the Ten Commandments? Most of the, 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 all the religions of the world in some way are tied. You know, all truth is God's truth. These Ten Commandments are, whether they know, call them the Ten Commandments or not, they're, people understand the value of these. Here we go. So you shall have no other gods before me. What, what, what person or thing do you put before God? Uh, here's another command. You shall make no idols. Very much tied to the first command. In this case, it's like what, what grabs the affections of your heart that then replace God? Uh, third one. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Um, this is like not cussing. I mean, it, it could be, but it's really living your life in a way that the that the name of God and God himself just doesn't matter, all right? Uh, the fourth one is this, keep the Sabbath day, finding a, some time for, for rest and worship in a systematic way. Wow. I mean, how are you doing so far? The first four are tied, are linked to God. The, the next six are how we relate to each other, like this one, honor your father and mother. Um, you shall not murder. Uh, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet. You might think, well, I did really, really well. Like, I did not murder anybody. But then, but then well, I don't know that. But uh, you, you jump to Jesus in, in the New Testament. And he says, you know, even if you call somebody, if he raises the bar, even if you call somebody a fool, you've, break, you've broken that command. You've murdered somebody. So that leaves us in a tough spot. So how did you do your mental score there? I can tell already, just I have this ability looking at a crowd, I can tell, yeah, I can tell this side of the room scored better than this side of the room over here, pretty much. Just kidding. You know, actually, um, all of us in this room, we all scored somewhere south, somewhere short of 100%, didn't we? Yeah, that's that's because we're people. so, let me bring us up to speed. We've been in the, we've been in the book of Galatians, and um, up, to, up to this point, Paul has said a, a bunch of things, but essentially the, the law says, you know, the law is good, but any attempt to be made right with God by keeping the law perfectly is an absolutely fruitless effort. None of us can keep the law perfectly. All of us are left short While no one can make their way to God on their own, God has made his way to us, and that's in the person of Jesus. And when you put your faith in Jesus, then you are made right with God. 
that, that I've brought you up to speed to where we are now. So Paul asked this question in the passage we're looking at. We start with this. Why then was the law given? That's a great question. If you remember in this letter to the Galatians, Paul's writing to the, the Galatian churches. It's in modern-day Turkey, the region of Galatia. And in, this Galatian, in these Galatian churches, there's some who come from a Jewish background, and they're familiar with the Mosaic law. There are some who come from a Gentile background who never really cared or really don't know about the Mosaic law. And then along come these, guy, Paul, these guys Paul calls the Judaizers. And, and what they're saying to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, is, great, you believe in Jesus, but you also need to obey the Mosaic law. And Paul will have none of that because Paul knows he's never been able to keep the law perfectly like you've never been able to keep the law perfectly. Why would you expect these Galatian Gentiles to keep the law perfectly? It's, that is not good news. The gospel is believe in Jesus and you will be made right with God. So it begs the question then, what is the point of the law? What's the point of the Ten Commandments and, and all the other commands? So we're going to look at that question this morning and answer it in three different ways. All right? You with me? The, the first one is the, the law points out our sinfulness. This is what Paul writes. But then why, but then was the, why then was the law given? We already read that part. It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. It was designed to show people their sins. And let's just stop there for a moment because that's a rather, we sing it, we just sang about it earlier. You know, Jesus washed us clean from our sins. Uh, it's a kind of a hefty word. It's an ugly word. It's thrown around in some churches in, in loose, loose and, and harsh ways at times. In some circles, it's thrown out completely. But it's an important word because, come on, you know, I... The word mistake doesn't really kind of get at what we did or who we are. It, it, the, the word, you know, uh, uh, um, what's the other word I'm thinking of? Uh, accident or my bad. Those, none of those really get at the heart of what sin really is. So what is sin? Let's just take a moment and define that. Um, and one way is to do it through the Holman Dictionary. Attitudes and actions by which humans rebel against God, miss his purpose for their life, and surrender to the power of evil. That's a good definition. I like to go to some brilliant theologians at times. For example, Woody Allen. You know, sin is just that the heart wants what the heart wants. And uh, when I was a, a younger Christian, I, I learned the definition of sin this way, that it is just a, a passive indifference or an active rebellion toward God. You can define it however you want. Augustine, uh, one of the early church fathers, said it is, it is being curved in on yourself. That is just selfishness and selfishness. That's what sin is. So you get the idea, right? And so Paul is saying that the law was given to reveal that the heart wants what the heart wants, but not what God wants. The law was given to reveal our active rebellion or passive indifference toward God. It was, it was, the law was given to reveal our sinfulness, to reveal that we are selfish and we can be very selfward at times. And we just learned that a few moments ago. Those ten, the Ten Commandment exercise we just went through, what did it do? It kind of revealed to us where we are in life. We get that. 
Now, interestingly, the law, like the Ten Commandments we just went through, it has no ability to give me the power to overcome the sin in my life. I'll give you an example. Uh, the other day, I was driving along, and I looked down, and I realized I am driving significantly over the speed limit. I'm sure none of you have ever done that. And I'm, I'm, and I, I'm thinking to myself, doggone it, that 25-mile-an-hour sign, that 25-mile-an-hour law, it failed to keep me at 25 miles per hour. It should have done that. No, the, the, the sign has no power to make me go 25. The sign, all it can do is reveal that I am breaking the law. And that's the way it is with the law. It has no power to, make, to change us. And Paul is going to say eventually, he'll, we'll get to it, Jesus, through his spirit, is the only one who can really change us from the inside out. But let me give you some examples from the laws we just looked at. You shall have no other gods before me. This command has no power to help me put God before people and things, but it sure has the power to reveal my sin when God has taken a back seat in my life. Or let's take this one. Honor your father and your mother. Uh, this command has no power to make me honor my parents, to respect them. But it sure can reveal when I am being selfish and not being very loving. Or let's take this command right here. You shall not covet. Uh, this command has uh, no power to help me celebrate when somebody gets something new. But it sure can reveal my heart when somebody gets a new car or gets a new house or has something that I don't have or, or can't have. I, I could go on. For example, you, you shall not murder. That, that law has no power to keep me from calling somebody a fool, but it sure can reveal my foolishness when I do that. So the law can't change us. All it can do is point to our sinfulness, our selfishness. And Paul goes on by saying that if left unchecked, if our sin goes left unchecked, unbridled, he says this, is there a conflict then between God's law and promises? Absolutely not. And we'll talk about the promises in just a few moments. Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we would be made right with God by obeying it. But it can't make us right with God. The scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus. So Paul is saying the law, he says the law is, is a good thing, but it can't give life. It has no power to keep us from sin. It has no power to free us from our own selfishness. It, it, it can, and if left unattended, it can rob us of living the way God has always intended us to live. And Paul says that Jesus alone holds the key to freeing us, to, to unlocking the prison that we're in, with our sin. Now we'll get to we'll get to that in just a few moments. I want to continue with uh, the, the, what sin or what uh, the law points us to. It points us to our sinfulness. We just made a we just made that clear. But it all but it also points us away from danger. This is what Paul writes: Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed, until the way of faith was revealed. So I want to I pause there for a minute. This is a complex passage. I want to pause and, and kind of take a 30,000-foot aerial view of the Bible just for a moment, because this might help us understand what Paul is saying 
Um, let me go back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Everything was perfect. And then chapter 3, sin showed up in the world. And then by the time you get to Genesis chapter 11, things fall apart dramatically. And it's not like God just sort of goes like this and says, well, I'm done with this creation idea. Let's start over and do something else. He decides to reclaim what he's created. And so he finds a guy by the name of Abraham, not because of anything Abraham did special, but just out of God's grace. He says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a child, and from that child is going to come a nation, and from that nation is going to come someone who's going to make a way back to myself. And Abraham believes. And so this promise that begins with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 continues all the way up to Paul, all the way up to Jesus coming. But along the way, Israel proves to be not all that they could be. <laughs> um, they were supposed to be like a bright light pointing to what it really means to love and worship God. But they were not a bright light. They were like a flickering candle. They just did a poor job. And so God needed to implement laws, the Mosaic law, to help point out their sinfulness, but also to help them stay out of danger and to help them to become a light to the nations. But this law also pointed eventually to the coming of the one, the promise to Abraham, the one who would come to make a, a way back to God. And so you have this promise that continues underneath all the way along up to Jesus. But in the middle, you've got this law that was never meant to be permanent. It was meant to be temporary. I mean, God's moral laws are still in play today, but all these 613 laws were meant to be like a, a temporary guardian watching over the Israelites. Are you with me? So this is what, so this is what, and eventually pointing to the promise of to Abraham, who is Jesus. Paul goes on, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. So the law was put in place sort of as a, as a guardian, as a, as a tutor, as, 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 as someone, as a, as a thing that would keep in check the Israelites. J.D. Greer summarizes this by saying, the key word there is guardian. Some translations say tutor. Paul is referring to a school teacher or a nanny who oversees a child, training them up in the ways of adulthood and making sure they don't kill themselves accidentally before they become adults. So the law of God, the Mosaic law, was there for a while. Um, you know, we are, we're all familiar with rules. My parents had rules for us. I grew up near the lake. You can't go in the lake without a friend. You can't go ice skating on the pond without some other people nearby. Um, you need to learn how to say please and thank you. You need to learn how to do this and this and this. And rules, at the end of the day, those rules probably ended up protecting me, and they helped prepare me for life. And so now, then I become a parent, and now I'm a grandparent, and same thing, rules. Not to, not to make a kid feel like they're, uh, they, they need to do something to be loved, not to upset them, not to restrict them, not to make them miserable. Only meant to protect rules can be a good thing. And for, for Paul, the Mosaic Law was a good thing, but it was a temporary guardian. It was like guardrails to reveal sinfulness, but also to protect the Israelites, showing them how to live successful, prosperous lives individually, but also together. So... It was temporary, and Paul now kind of helps to develop this idea that the Mosaic Law was temporary, 
as the time of Jesus would eventually come. This is what he says. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves. to. Then he says, to the basic principles of this world. Again, a little bit difficult to understand, but I think what he's saying is that uh, what happened was that, that, you know, there were 613 laws in the Old Testament. By the, the, get this, by the time Jesus came, the Jewish religious leaders had developed like 1,500 more laws on top of what God gave them. They were like fences to make sure they would not break the 613. Then I mean, what's 613 plus 1,500? Anyways, you got a lot of laws, right? And their idea was, if we, if we can just obey God's law, then we can be made right with God. And Paul's saying, there is no way anybody could ever do that. You have become a slave to your own system. You've become a slave to your own law. There is nobody who can keep. And so the law was meant to, what was the law meant to do? Originally, God gave those laws to point to their need, not to save people, but to point to their need for a Savior. So the law points to, to, to sinfulness. The, the, the law point, points, to, points us away from, from uh, problems. But, but the law, ultimately, you know, with, it, with the promise to Abraham, continuing throughout, the law given was, was only meant to point us to our need for a Savior. And the Savior, the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, is given, and that is Jesus. So, the law is meant to point us to Jesus. This is what Paul said back in chapter 3, but the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. Now we pick it up again in chapter 4, where Paul writes, but when the right time came... God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. Literally like Daddy. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. I want to take a minute. Just I mean, the, the phrase there, slave to the law, in verse 5, you can see that. And earlier, slave to the, to the principles of this world. What, what does it mean to be a slave to the law? And, I, and once, I, once I describe it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like going through life thinking, have I done enough? And, and if I can only do this and this and this, maybe God will accept me, forgive me, love me. Maybe, just maybe, I can do enough to be brought into God's family and to be called a child of God. That's, that's, what, it, that's what it means to be a slave of the law. Um, I've had the privilege of being exposed to different religions around the world. And I remember being in a temple uh, in India, a Hindu temple, and standing there just feeling so bad for this long line of people bringing different goods, foods, and different things to this golden idol, one of the two million gods in, in, in India. 
just hoping, hoping, maybe, th- maybe today this will be enough to gain my God's favor. Or you can go and sit with a Muslim and ask them, what are the five pillars of faith? And they will tell you. And they will explain to you, I just hope, I just hope by the end of my life, I will have done enough of these things to outweigh the bad that I've done. I remember seeing a tree somewhere in a distant part of the world with all kinds of things pinned on this tree. It was a form of animism. They worshiped the tree, just hoping that their God, that they, that they worship, would, would accept whatever they pinned on that tree. I know it sounds odd. But none of that is very unlike people you know who go through life wondering, I wonder if I'm doing enough to earn God's favor. The Ten Commandments. And maybe, maybe by the end of my life, I will have done enough to outweigh my bad things. I was raised in a church that taught essentially that, and maybe you were also. What a, what a dead-end way to live. What a horrible way to end your life, thinking, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? And what the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus, when the, when, the, when the angel said to the shepherds, we bring you good news of great joy, what was it? That the time of the law is done. Nobody can obey the Ten Commandments we went through at the beginning. God has come and done for us through Jesus what we could never do for ourselves. And we put our faith in Jesus, and God says, welcome to my family. Call me Abba. Call me Daddy. You are a child of God, a son and a daughter of God. Paul says that happens. You are all children of God through faith. It just happens through faith in Jesus. That's it. I'm done trying to, to figure out my way to God. I'm done trying to figure out my way to heaven. I just put my faith in Jesus. In a few moments, we're going to have communion, and uh, we'll be reminded it's to him alone we owe our forgiveness. Now, let me just close with the idea of being a child of God. You may yawn at that. Maybe you've been in church all your life. Oh, I'm adopted. I get that. I hear that. Let me just throw out a, a couple of ideas of what it means to be a child of God. And I think this is important. We, we could talk about this forever, but here are a couple of things. I know where I belong. That's important. There's a really good author by the name of Henry Nouwen who explains what it, he says, this is what it's like to not belong. I'm like a small boat on the ocean completely at the mercy of of its waves. How horrible is that? Maybe you've been on Lake Erie in a small boat. I have. It's terrible. What about out in the middle of the ocean? That'd be horrible. What about living your life always wondering, am I accepted by God? Always wondering, have I done enough to earn God's favor? I don't really know. But Jesus, when he died on the cross and took our sins onto himself through the cross and his resurrection, and when we put our faith in Jesus, this is how it works, now you gain a brand new security. Now you gain a brand new stability, a brand new source of worth, a brand new identity where you can actually Say you are adopted into the family of God and there's no going back. Maybe you watched the video we showed just a few weeks ago on Sanctity of Life Sunday. We showed a a video of the Robinson family. They had fostered a little boy named Charlie. It's their fifth kid now. 
and, uh, and they adopted little Charlie. And there was a time when Charlie, as a foster kid, was, was just one of, he was just a kid. He, he, was, he, was, he was a kind of son. But then they adopted him, and now he is a true Robinson son, a true son in the family with all rights and privileges of being a part of that family. And so do you. No question. Through faith in Jesus, not through the law, through faith in Jesus. And then, I know where I belong, but I also know that I am free. Paul couldn't be more clear. If you, try, if you think that you're always... If you think that getting to heaven, getting to, getting to God, heaven, being made right with God is through keeping the law, you will always feel imprisoned. But Jesus said, no, when you come to me, I will set you free. And what happens is, we talked about this last week, we'll talk about it again in the next few weeks, the Holy Spirit comes to live within. When we say, I'm, do- I'm done trying to earn my way to heaven, I need a Savior, I need Jesus the Holy Spirit comes to live within, who gives a new power to live. Not only are we freed from the, from the penalty of sin, we're freed from the power of sin. He gives us new strength to live, which, which I think when Jesus started his ministry, he started with these words, and I think he's, he's pointing to what it's going to be like when you put your faith in Jesus. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. This is what Jesus is saying. I have done for you what the law could never accomplish. I've unlocked the prison door. Be freed from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. I've broken the chains. Come and follow me so you can truly live. Rules have their place. But Jesus says, come to me, and you will freely live. In just a moment, we're going to have communion. But as we do that, I'd like to pray and lead us into that. Let's pray together. And now, God, thank you uh, for the strength, the truthfulness of your word. This resonates with us that not one of us can find our way to you on our own. We need the grace of God that has delivered to us the Savior who is Jesus Thank you. Now as we hold the elements of communion, would you remind us of that, the gospel that you have done for us through Christ Now, we could ever do for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a time for believers. If you're a follower of Christ, this is for you, a time to remember. If you don't have one of these, uh, raise your hand. Somebody can bring it to you or go to the slip to the back and take it. What I'd like for you to do is just to peel off the top layer and take out the uh, wafer and just, just hold it for a minute because I'd like to lead us through a, a, a moment of reflection if I could. All right? Just keep your hand up. Somebody could bring you a, uh, a wafer. And as you hold your hand up, let's the rest of us, uh, let's bow our heads. And I'd like for you to just in a moment, for a moment, bring to God a word of confession. That means agreeing with God what he already knows. But what do you need to tell God? How do you need to, to cleanse your soul and experience his forgiveness anew? What do you need to tell God just for a moment?
And now quickly on the heels of confession, a word of gratitude to God that he freely forgives through Christ. And now let's end with this, a word of commitment. Jesus, you have done everything for me. All to you, I owe. Sin left its crimson stain, but you have washed it white as snow. Thank you. Now, let's eat this bread together. Jesus said when, when he held the bread, this is my body broken for you, given for you. When you eat this, remember me. Let's eat it together. Open the top, the, the layer to the uh, juice. And Jesus took the cup and he held it and said, this, this cup represents the new covenant. It represents my blood shed for you. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink it together. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Indeed, sin left its crimson stain, but you've washed it white as snow. That's only through Christ, and we thank you, God. We're grateful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I would encourage you to keep reading through the book of Galatians. That's how you get God's perspective on life. And also, as you go in the lobby, you'll see a table if you'd like to write a note. To our honored guests at A Night to Shine, that would be wonderful. Have a good day.